he has, you think about it, there's no one around that can even compare to, they, they can't fight against him. I think about the history of Israel, which is what we've actually been kind of stuck in for the last uh, several weeks, uh, uh, looking at the history of, of Israel. And, and when, when God came up, when God was behind all of that, there was, there was just no question about uh, the, the, there was no, there, there was no contest between him and what he wanted to accomplish through his people. And I, I think about specifically, and this kind of hits a little bit where we're at today, although we're, we're not going to talk about Gideon, but I think about Gideon and the story of Gideon. He had, you had, you had 32,000, uh, 32,000, um, 32,000 Israelites going up against 135,000 Midianites. And what does God say? You got too much. If you're afraid, go home. 22,000 drop out. Now you have 10,000. Gideon's kind of going, hey, what's going on here? That's bad math. You know, we're going the wrong way, God. We need more, right? And, and, and God comes in and he says, well, you still have too many. Okay? I want every one of you to kind of go down and I want you to kind of drink some water out of the, out of the, out of the stream there. And whoever laps up like a dog... Those are the ones I want. Those are the ones I want. And there were 300 people that did that, and God stands against them. What do you think is God's point? What's God's point? God's point is that I am the one that are going to bring deliverance to you here today. It's not by your power, but by mine. There is no equal. There is no rival. And that's we, we've, been, we've been going through this series. We've been looking at God's story. Uh, we went through the story um, quite, quite a while back, a few years back. This has been a little bit different. What I've been trying to do throughout this is to see that thread of redemption that follows all the way through the, the story. We're, we're this week in the book of Judges. Last week uh, we had a little, little break from all of that with the video that we had from Central Christian Church. And, but uh, really looking at this thread of redemption, how God seeks and, and uh, continues to to redeem his people throughout the Bible. In fact, that's really God's message to us, that he wants to redeem you and me. And, and I just want to start today by kind of asking this question. How many of you have ever been in a rut? If you don't have your hand up, <laughs> you're probably uh, saying, some, I won't call you lying, but I'll just say you're fibbing a little bit, or, you just, or you're tired. That might be what it is. But it... it, it all of us, have, at one time or another, we kind of get, we, we have that happen to us. We're stuck in, in a rut. We just, uh, you're just in something. You can't get out. You find yourself kind of going through the same motions. You're just in that rut. And it just kind of, you know. Now, if, if you've ever seen somebody else stuck in a rut, what's that like? We look at somebody else and we can see their rut. Is that, say, uh-huh. We can see other people's ruts. It's like, to us, it's like, hey, obviously, hey, dude, come on. Get out of that rut. It's really, I mean, we can see it as clear as day, and we kind of scratch our head. It's like, why are they doing this over and over and over again? They're stuck in that rut. Just, just do this or stop doing that. Get out of it. But it reminds me of this video. Of, it reminds me of Groundhog Day. Remember that movie? Bill Murray, he's a reporter for Philadelphia. He's, uh, he goes to, to cover Groundhog Day, and, you know, there's Puxatani Phil, you know, and, and coming out and seeing his shadow, and he can't, he can't get out of that cycle, you know. He, he wakes up every morning. It's February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day. But I want you to watch this video really quick here. you for the rest of your life. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no 
It's just every day, back and forth. You gotta, you gotta love Sonny and Cher too, right? You know, listening to all that. Um, but, but you and I can relate to that. I, I mean, it, it's just that same cycle. You're just caught in, and uh, but that's what happens, I think, when we get caught in a rut. What, what we want to do today is we want to talk a little bit about spiritual ruts. I think sometimes we can get in spiritual ruts, and and we want to look at the history where God's people were stuck in a rut. But I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Judges chapter two. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Joshua, if you remember. You know, you look at Joshua, and it, the way that Joshua ends, it's just such an incredible, there's this victory after victory. It's, everything is upbeat. God's people are doing stuff. They're going into the land. They're, 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 uh, they're conquering these nations around them. They're setting up camp there and, 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 and stuff. And again, it's just victory after victory. But then you get to the book of Judges, and it's like, what happened? Because this is, it's like a different group of people. And in fact, it really is. But I want to read for you one verse that kind of sets the stage for the book of Judges. And it comes from Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. But take, take a look what this says. It says, after that whole generation, we're talking about the generation of Joshua, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up. Now catch this next line. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That line right there, that verse haunts me as a parent. It's basically saying that there's a generation that, 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 that was led by Joshua. They had seen God. They knew God. They, they had experienced all that. They followed God as long as Joshua was leading them. But then their kids grew up. And, 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 and as great as Joshua and his generation were, they did not raise up the next generation to follow God the way that they had. And so the very next generation you have this people that, that kind of do their own thing and they don't want God to, they don't know God the way that their parents did. And that's really the setting for this entire book of Judges. And, and so then you see a cycle that's repeated throughout the book. It's really a four-part cycle. And I want you to take a look at that in the, on the screen here. But it really begins at the top there with sin. And so God's, God's people would begin to sin and they'd start doing whatever they wanted to do, whatever seemed right to them. God says uh, this, but this is what the, the other nations are doing. Let's do what they're doing. The biggest problem that Israel had was, was they kept on worshiping other gods. And we know this. There, there's, uh, they kept breaking the first two commandments. They weren't to have any other gods before them. They, they, they continually turned away from God, and you see this, this happening to them, they're looking around and, yeah, we want to do a little bit of that, and we want to do a little bit of that, and we want to do a little bit of that, and they begin to sin over and over and over again. Well, sin always leads to, and we know this, this is elementary, but sin always leads to consequences. Now, I, I think that a lot of times when we face consequences, we think that we're facing consequences because God is punishing us. And yet there, there may be times that that's true, and yet I think that the majority of the time that we're experiencing consequences, it's just a natural reaction because of our sin. It's just a natural consequence to our sin. Because God designed things, I think, in a certain way that whenever we deviate away from the path, we're always going to experience results that God never intended for us. And so... They go through the sin, and then there are other consequences for that sin. 
And then they get to this point of repentance. You know, it's, it, it's like, you know, look, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, we've all been there. I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. This is, this is where the heart begins to change. And, and when, you're, when you're tired of, when the Israelites are tired, when we are tired of our, of our sin, when we're tired of the consequences, and, 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 and the Israelites are like, man, I want something to change. And, and God then would raise someone up. And then you have the, he, he'd raise up the, a judge. And then you have the next point, which is redemption. God would raise up a leader. God is back. Well, God never really left them, um, but um, it just kind of felt like God had left them, I guess. But then that leader would die, and then they would repeat that cycle again. It would be sin and consequences, then repentance, and then redemption all over again. And, and, and this is the rut that the Israelites are in. And if you read through the book of Judges, you just, you just shake your head through that, through that cycle. It's, it's, it's like, really? We're going through this again? And this is the cycle that they find themselves in. But I want you to look at Judges chapter 2 again and start with verse number 16. But I can sum up the entire book in just these four verses. So read these four verses and you know exactly what the book is about. Judges chapter 2, starting with verse number 16. Let's take a look. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned, under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Verse 19, But when the judge died, the people returned to, the way, to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn, way, stubborn ways. And that is the summary of the cycle where they would sin and they would do whatever they wanted and then there would be the consequences of that and then they'd cry out to God in repentance, in a moment of repentance and God would raise up then a judge and, and, and uh, everything would be great but then the judge would die and then they'd start that whole cycle all over again from sin and consequences to, to repentance to back to the, oh you don't have that, um, back to the redemption part. Um, the book of Judges covers a span of 330 years. Two-thirds of that time, two-thirds of that time, they were living in sin. Can you, yeah, there we go. They were living in the sin and the consequences stage. One-third of that time, one-third, or about 110 years only a one-third of that time were they actually living in peace. Think about that. So two-thirds of the time they were living in the sin and the consequences phase. And, it, and it's hard for us to read this because it's not, the, it's not really a healthy period for the nation of Israel in, in, in their history. And, and yet there were 13 different judges that are raised up that, that we know about that, that would go through this, this cycle. Uh, so 13 specific cycles where God raised somebody up to lead them, Twelve of these judges were, were men. One of them was uh, a woman. Now, 
judges, let me just say this, judges is not really what we think. You know, it's not a, ju a, a ju judicial figure, you know, with robes sitting in front of, you know, a courtroom and overseeing the courtroom uh, in, is in Israel's history. The simplest, I think, translation for this is that, for a judge, is that this is someone who leads. And, and these judges were, were uh, men and, and women who led. They, were, they had moral, they had political, they had primarily military responsibility and leadership among the Israelites. They weren't perfect people. You notice that when you read about them. In fact, very, very often these were violent people. Sometimes very deeply flawed, these judges, but God uses them. And so these judges, they were, they were the political, they were the spiritual, they were the, the military leaders, they really did it all. They, and, and this is before they had kings, God, uh, but God would empower them. Uh, these judges, they, they would lead, everything would be great, start the cycle all over again. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I, I brought in some really unbelievable talent today, and I, I've got a, a live video from, from them uh, here, and it's called The Fabulous Bentley Brothers. And they're going to introduce you to all of the judges. So are you ready for this? We're going to look at, at these guys here. What's the seventh book of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Let's hear a song about it. And now, the fabulous Bentley Brothers. Turn on a TV today without seeing the courtroom show with a celebrity judge just a judge in the way deciding who takes on the dough. But long before television, yeah, people used to live without it. God, God sent celebrity judges to Israel, and there's a book about it. It's called Judges. That's the name. The subject and the title are one and the same. A book about Heather called Heather, or a book about Heather called Heather. Who's Heather? She's my cousin. Oh, and that's her name. Yeah, but who are the judges? Well, you got Othniel and Ehud, Shamgar and Deborah, Gideon and Tola, Jaya and Jephthah. Who could forget about old Ibzan or Elon and Abdon? And the most famous of them all, that long-haired dude named Samson. He was strong. But who are the judges again? You've got Othniel and Ehud, Shamgar and Deborah, Gideon and Tola, Giant and Jephthah. Who could forget about old Ibzan or Elon and Abdon? And the most famous of them all, that long-haired dude named Samson. He was strong until he got a haircut. <laughs> Pretty great talent, huh? And, and did you love that? You're not going to be able to get that out of your heads for the rest of the day now, okay? And who can forget about old Ibsen, right? You remember that? Well, actually, there's, there's a lot of these, these judges. that are, are probably a few more of the popular ones. Uh, maybe someone like Deborah and Gideon. I mentioned Gideon earlier. Samson, obviously. 
Um, you know, there's, I, I think that those stories, well, Jephthah's is kind of, you know, there, but um, those are some of the longer stories, uh, the, the more incredible stories, and any one of them would make for a great sermon. Um, but I want to do something a little bit different today. Instead of just going through all, that, that's your introduction to the judges, by the way. Um, I want to focus on the actual people, not the judges themselves. But uh, I want to focus on the entire nation of Israel. Because I, I am just so intrigued when I read the book of Judges. How they just find themselves in this cycle over and over and again. Why, why are they going through this? And so I want to go back to this cycle and consider what, why it is that, they, uh, that, that Israel uh, continued to go through this cycle. What they, uh, why did they get caught in this? And are we capable of falling into it today, individually, and are we capable of doing that as a church, and how, how would we know? And so I, want, I really wanted to address this question here, uh, because in the book of Judges, there's this profound contrast between two different ideas that I really think answers the question of why they were, why Israel was in this cycle. So I want you to take a look at, first of all, Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and, uh, sit in, and see what that says. Uh, Judges 17, verse 6 says it this way. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right, notice this phrase, in their own eyes. Now this is how we live, you and I. We, we, we tend to do things that make sense to us. Would you say that? that would you agree with that? We do things that make sense to us. We can always justify our own actions. I, I, I can tell you exactly why I did what I did. I can justify that. But, but then whenever we wonder if we did something was wrong, we tend to go and ask people that agree with us, right? That we, or at least that we would think would agree with us. And, and, and so you go up and, well, is this the right thing? And if they agree with us, then it's like, oh, yeah, you feel justified because it's right in their eyes, too. And, and that's really what Israel was doing. They were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. They could justify it. They could explain it. It made perfect sense. But then you see in Judges chapter 2, verse 11, look what that says. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so I, I think what you have here is you have two incredible an incredible contrast that tells us that, that the Israelites are doing things that make sense to them and that, that, that is right in their own eyes, but God looks at the very same things and, and He deems them evil. And, and God said, this is not what I called you to do. This is set apart for you. And, and so you have this contrast where you ask those, ask whose eyes are you really looking at the situation through? Who are you choosing to see? Which perspective are you using? And so here's, but, but here's the, really the bottom line that I really want to get across today. Here's the question that I think that we have to ask ourselves, each and every one of us. Do you see what God sees? Do you see what, do I see? Do we all see what God sees? As you look at these two different lenses, do we see what God sees? Because I think that the reason why Israel kept going through that cycle over and over and again. Why they were, I think, is that they were doing things that just made sense in their own eyes. It did not make sense from the eyes of God. 
And so if we want to keep ourselves from the same cycle today, we have to ask ourselves, are we seeing what God sees? As people look at us, are we doing what is right in our eyes that from the Lord's perspective is, 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 not, is not what is right? Would we be guilty of the same thing as Israel or would we be different than them? Now, the reason why I think that it happened to them or I, maybe more importantly, how it, how it happened to them was that they began to look at the nations all around them, right? And they began to say, oh, we like that. We like that. We like that too. And we, and we see that play out later on, I think, in, in, in the Old Testament when Israel asked for a king. Remember what the, what the Bible says? It, it specifically says that they asked for a king so that they could be like all the other nations around them. They were jealous. They were, they were envious of, of all the nations around them. And, and so this is all a part of the DNA of Israel, wanting to be like everyone else. They, 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 they just entered into the promised land, and, and they kind of like some of the things that all the nations around them are doing. And so when they look at all these other nations, it, 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 it began to change the values that they had that were given to them from God. It began to dilute what God had told them to do so that, so that they couldn't see clearly the things that God had set out for them. Now, to be honest with you, I don't really don't think that that's our temptation today for us. I mean, I, I don't think that we are in danger of looking at the nations around us here in America and going, man, I want to be like that. I really don't. I mean, I just spent uh, a, a couple of days um, um, in Canada, and I, 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 don't, I don't see us as looking at Canada and Mexico and the nations around us and thinking, you know what, that, that they're the problem of us may, uh, being in, 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 in je uh, possible jeopardy of losing our identity in Christ. Uh, again, just in Canada I mean, last week, I mean, you look at some of... of I, I didn't for a second think to myself, man, I, I just, I wish I could be a Canadian. I never thought that. I just didn't. Um, and and, and I, I never for a moment thought, man, I just love these values. they got some strange laws up there, by the way. They really do. Um, it, but that's just not a temptation for me. And, and not one of you would ever say of me, you know, boy, Paul, man, Canada is really messing Paul up. Not a one of you. Except for all, all those big fish I'm catching. Maybe that's maybe messing me up a little bit. But, you know, that's really not the temptation for us. What's that? A. Eh? Eh? A lot of fish up there, eh? Mm -hmm. but, but here's what I think it is about for us as a nation, or for us as people of God. It's our nation. It's our culture. It's, it's America itself. And, and, and there's a lot we could talk about that, that's really healthy in America. But there's a lot in America that's really unhealthy. But what I think, now, if you said that in Canada, you would actually could get fired. There's some things you can't say from the pulpit, by the way, in Canada. Um, so this guy was, this guy we listened to last Sunday, uh, he, he tiptoes around. He has to, because he, he can get thrown in jail for saying certain things from the pulpit. Um, but what I think really happens is that we look at the healthy parts, and we, we kind of adopt those without ever asking ourselves the question, 
is this changing my faith? Is this changing what God has called me to? And that's really, I think, one of the things that we need to wrestle with every single day and figure out if we're going to go in the, in, into the same kind of cycle that we see in the book of Judges. And so here's really the question that I want us to think about. Have our cultural values caused us to stop seeing the values of the kingdom? Think about that for a little bit and wrestle with that. Let me say it again. Have our cultural values caused us to stop seeing the values of the kingdom of God? That's really the question. Um, think about what we talked about earlier when, 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 uh, 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 of what looks good in our eyes versus what looks good or what is good in God's eyes. Have our cultural values, the things that we look at and that we say, you know, this is good, everybody agrees with this, has that delighted what we see God calling us to be as his church, as citizens of, his, of a different kingdom? Those are, I think, the kinds of tough questions that we need to wrestle with uh, that, that keep us strong and that keep us uh, working together, uh, each and every, uh, just, just keeping on, on God's timing and God's uh, program each and every day. Look at this quote here from Robert Brimlow. He said, The gospel ought not to be treated as we would a new brand of toothpaste that must conform to our tastes before we accept it. We are called rather to conform our lives to the gospel. Now, I I don't know when the last time it was that, that you went out and shopped for toothpaste. Um, I, to be honest with you, Susan always buys the toothpaste in our family. And so when I actually had to go out and get some here a couple weeks ago for this trip here, I, I'm just amazed, you know. It, it is unbelievable how many varieties of toothpaste that you can buy today. I mean, you can cater to whatever taste that you want. You can have cinnamon and you can have peppermint and you can have spearmint and you can have bubble gum and you can have any taste that you want. You can get that in a toothpaste, you know. I mean... It, it, whatever specifically you want done to your teeth, you can have that. Does it, did, did anybody here think that that's crazy? Nod. Say yes. I mean, that's crazy, right? That you can get that. I mean, shouldn't our teeth just be clean? I mean, that really seems to be what the point is of toothpaste, is for them to be clean. But, but you can go to the toothpaste aisle like, like, do I want them to be white? Do I want them to be strong? Do I want them to be cavity-free? And you can choose all these. And they have one whole aisle for toothpaste. And that, to me, is nuts. You ought to just be able to get it in that little section, you know? You just go there and you get Colgate, you know? That's, That's all you need, right? But it's like you have all these options of exactly what you want to do, want to customize your toothpaste. My, my kids have different brands. Um, we've got to have you know, the, the, the good flavors and I don't know. And yet the quote from Robert Brimlow is showing us that it's not about picking out the gospel that I like the most that makes me feel the best. No, we go to Jesus and we ask him what he has called us to be, what he has called us to do. That's the point of the gospel. And then we adjust to that. We conform to who he is, not expecting it the other way around. And so this is where I think we have to ask some of those tough cultural questions of who we are, uh, of are we doing that or are we expecting Jesus to become an American? 
Are we expecting Jesus to fit into our culture the way that we see things? Or are we allowing His unique brand of kingdom to be our driving force? Now, I just want to give you a couple of examples uh, of what I'm talking about here. I'm, I, what, what I'm asking is that, that, that we think about how our culture sees things and how we see things and, and, and how that lines up with the way that God sees things. So, for example, how does our culture see the way that we are to treat our enemies? Just as an example, we look in Scripture, we look in, at what our culture is doing, and, and, and does, that differ? Do, do we, does that differ from the way that God teaches us to treat our enemies? Does the fact that our culture tells us that we have this right, and we do, we have a right to, if we want to hate somebody, if we want to, if we want to trample over them, if we, you know, we were given this, you know what, he did that to me, right? We, we have that all around us. Does that really, over, those, that philosophy override God's desire that we love our enemies and reach out to our enemies and do good to those who, in fact, hate us? I mean, we can take that from our our enemies, so we can talk about how we treat others, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat everyone around us. What does the Bible say? And when you start to look at them in comparison, there's a world apart. One says you have a right to throw mud on them, and the other says, you know what? That's a child of God. God loves them. That's hard for us. How about power? How do you see power? Now, Jesus modeled for us a power under versus a power over. Okay, so a power over is I'm going to make you do what I want you to do and you have no choice or else. A power under is I'm asking you. I'm not making you. I am compelling you to do something. I'm, I'm inviting you to do something. I'm not going to enforce you. I mean, that's, that's how Jesus did things. See, the, the Jesus-looking God is this, this man who, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to follow him. That's how Jesus modeled for us what it means to be in his kingdom. And yet, what do we do today? What we do is we crave power even in our faith. We crave the ability to make people do what we think is right, what we think should happen. Now, there's a story in the New Testament, and I think this is a great example of it, 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 Jesus there, uh, where, where, where they asked him this really impossible question. It was impossible because no matter what answer he gave, um, one, uh, one or, or the other, um, either way he was going to get in trouble. And the question was really this, you know, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? You know, so, he's, so, so you look at that, and if he says, yeah, it's right to pay, if he says, no, it's not right, I mean, who's going to be upset but Rome? They're going to be all, they're going to be on his case. But if he says, yes, it's right, then he has the Jews and the, and the religious leaders and uh, the Jewish religious leaders, he has them to contend with, contend with you know? You're not sold out to God's kingdom, if you believe that. But, but this, is, this, this was a moment where you would, would see what kind of power Jesus believes in. But, but I want you to see his answer here. And we, we've got, we, some of you are familiar with this, but here was his answer in Matthew chapter 22, verse 19. He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarii, and he asked him, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, 
Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Jesus says, before you jump on me to see what my answer is, whose face, whose face is on the coin? I mean, what a brilliant way to do things. He said, all right, then give it back to him. He has, Jesus has this way of, of, of separating things, and, and he understood the concept of there being different things and the question of, of, of whose image it, it is. And, and, and the point is that there are some things that belong to God, and there are some things that belong to Caesar. And they don't confuse the two. And yet in America, because we have the invitation to participate in our government, it's, it's really hard to separate those two. And so oftentimes we believe that the way to create change is with the power of the government, not the power of Christ's kingdom. My, my point is simply to point out, how do we see power? Is there a difference between the way God did that? How about this one? How about favor? How do you see favor? Uh, again, I think that this is really kind of an American thing. Um, but I would argue this, and, and don't miss this, the favor of God does not equal success. The favor of God does not equal success. When we pray, uh, oftentimes we are praying for God to grant us success. God, I want your favor upon you. I, I, in our mind, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, that, that there will be certain results that will come with it. And, and, and those tend to be more attached, I think, to the American dream than to anything that are, are, are found in the Bible that's biblical. Now, sometimes God's favor can be financial and material. Say yes. Sometimes that can happen. Yes. But oftentimes it's not. More often, probably, than not. It is not financial. It is not material. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, as Jesus was growing up, it says this. Um, I don't know if I got this quote on that. Yes. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Have you ever thought about that, that verse right there? Jesus grew in favor with God. What did that mean? Did, did he all of a sudden have all these flowing robes? Did he have this decked out camel that he could ride on? No, it's saying that Jesus had the favor of God upon him and he was able to do things, he was able to see things, he was able to be things that he wouldn't have been able to do without God's favor. And I think that's what God is wanting to give us. Wall Street and Hollywood are examples our culture looks at and they say this is what it means to be successful. But how do you, ne how do you measure? How do I measure? How, how do we measure whether or not God is with us? Most of us think in material terms, and I think when we do, we miss the fact that God's favor is on you and that He is with you and He is pouring out His Spirit into you. So, but what, what I want us to do is consider the ways that we invite God into our lives. So do you see what God sees? That's really the question. That's, there's so much busyness. There's so much uh, around us. There's so many opinions, and everyone tells us that the things that I want to do are justified and that they look good in everyone else's eyes. And yet, will I be willing to see things the way that God sees them? And I, I, I think that the way that that fits into the book of Judges is that if, if we're in this rut, if we're in this cycle of being in sin and, and its consequences, the moment that we put God in front of us is when He shows us a whole other kingdom to be a part of. 
You know, as theologians uh, look at this period of history in the book of Judges, they call it, they refer to it as a phrase called the saw-toothed history of Israel. You think about a saw-tooth, it's, 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 it's just a, a blade, they're talking about a blade of a saw that goes up and down, up and up and down, up and down, you know, just kind of, it, it's just, that's what they refer to this. And this is what Israel looks like if you read the book of Judges. It's just this up and down, up and down, up and down. And here's what's remarkable the entire time. They're still the people of God. Don't miss that. All of that time, throughout their period of time, that they're just, they're going into this, they're in this sin, this consequence stage, you know, going around that loop. They're still the people of God. The entire time, God is still with them. He's still longing for them to be near, even when they push him away. That's the God we serve. And so if you find yourself in a rot, here's the good news. He's not leaving you every time that you get yourself back and, you know, into that sin and consequence stage. He's not turning his back on you. What he's doing is he's inviting you back. He's inviting you back. He's inviting you back. And so we're in that, when, we're in that, excuse me, when we're in that cycle, the point is, is just to constantly move toward that redemption and to go, God, how do, I, how do we get there? How do we stay there? And, and, and that's the prayer that we have to have. And, and, what it, um, and what will it take? And what it will take is this ability to see things with different eyes. I want to close with an old prayer. And this is an 18th century Puritan prayer. Here's what it says, and I think I have it on the screen there. Save us from these comforts. Break us of our need for the familiar. Spare us any joy that's not of you, and we will worship you. Such a simple prayer to go to prayer to go, just God won't we don't want anything else. We don't want what the world around us is going to to tell us is good enough. We want you. We want you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being in our lives. Thank you for not giving up on us when we get into this rut over and over and over again. And just all of us here know what it's like to experience that. Sometimes we, we can even fake our way through that rut and, and make it appear as if we, we really have everything all together. But God, I just pray that you will just guide us and, and constantly be that anchor that we need that that we would recognize when we're in those times and reach out to you. Lean on one another. Um, Father, thank you again for just not giving up on us. And Father, I pray that, that, that the, the eyes of, of our hearts um, would always be seeking to do the things that you want us to do. God, I'd love to believe that we, we just somehow we, we could go around that cycle and we could get stuck on that redemption part and not move back to sin and not continue to do to in that cycle. But God, I know uh, in reality that that doesn't always work. That sometime, somehow we are just drawn to, to move back into those areas of, of disobedience and, and we fall short of what you want from us. I thank you today that we are your children. 
God, I ask that as we leave here today, that you would help us to, to take these things upon our hearts and to allow them to change us and, and maybe even jerk us uh, enough to, to move us back to you and, um, or closer to you. Um, thank you for your presence. And it's in the name of Jesus, the most powerful name, the only name, the only true name, the name that brings us salvation, the name that brings us hope. In the name of Jesus we pray.